Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening. Tonight, I want to speak to you. Don't you listen to your radio? No, I'd like to talk to you tonight. I could listen to you talk all night. Welcome to the night. Mr. Adley. Bradley, Jason, L. Next caller, you're on the air. While the others sleep. A little conversation. We will find you searching. WBZ, your Jay talking. We're live midnight to five, and tonight we're talking Vegas, at least for a while. I have a book here, Winner Takes All, How Casino Mogul Steve Wynn Won and Lost the High Stakes Gamble to Own Las Vegas. And our guest is Christina Binkley. How do you do? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for, first, thanks for writing this book. It's great. It's, you know, of the books I get, it's in the top, like, 3%. It's, a, it's got sizzle wow. to it. I love it. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you. All right. Now, how did you get access to the folks you needed to get access to when and the and the other two or more folks that you needed to get to? Were you insinuated into this world already? Yes, I I had um, joined the Wall Street Journal um, and and a couple of years into into being hired by the Wall Street Journal, they had assigned me to cover the Las Vegas beat, and I moved out, lived in Los Angeles, and covered that beat for uh, close to nine years. By the time I wrote the book, so I had spent many years, you know, as a as a, pretty much the only national reporter that was focused, um, you know, largely on those casino moguls and the business in Las Vegas. In those days, Las Vegas was the center of the gambling world. Um, so I spent a lot of time with those people and could, was able to draw on that while I was working on the book. So you already knew them pretty well from the beat. You, was, you would see them from time to time. Yeah, I, I saw them very regularly. I, I count myself lucky enough. I think I was sort of the, the last uh, generation of reporters that was able to have direct access to the CEOs and the and the the sort of the 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 leaders of Las Vegas, that after that sort of things you know public relations became more professionalized in, in the last um, ten years or so, and, and most of the reporters that have covered it have have had to work through communications officers. But I was sort of I had everybody's cell phones, and they got used to me being around all the time, and and um, so I I saw a lot of them. Did you get to live kind of a high roller life because you were tight with these folks? <laughs> no, not at all. That would have been uh, yeah. I was I was on staff at the Wall Street Journal, and that living a high roller life, a it wouldn't really appeal to me. But um, b it would. Now would you lived not in Vegas for journalists. Now you did you live right in Vegas? No, I lived in Los Angeles. Okay, a fifty-five mile, a fifty-five minute flight from Burbank to Las Vegas okay. almost every week. All right, now. In your book, you talk about Vegas has been born many times. What do you mean? 
Uh, well, you know, honestly, I think it's been born about three times in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm in my 50s. Um, you know, it, this is a town that started out, believe it or not, Mormon, um, and and still has a very important um, Mormon thread running through it. But you know, it, it you know then it was a, a kind of a ranch town, and and we all know the the largely legend. But um, when Bugsy Siegel came in and st- started the gambling, people that live in Las Vegas now that were that are adults and were born there often can't even recognize the city from when they were kids. Um, it changes. It changes so much every 15 years or so. The skyline changes. The buildings change. The neighborhoods change. Sprawls sprawls out and grows up. And when did Steve Wynn roll into town? Like 65 or around there? Yeah. Uh, yes. He. Um, well, he was. Yeah. I mean, that was the the, the sort of very um, the very early arrival of him. I mean, he came into town not as a casino mogul by any means, but he knew about the gambling world from um, growing up in upstate New York, and he um, was befriended or befriended a man by the name of Perry Thomas, who was a banker in Las Vegas and was very well connected knew all the who's who's. And at the time, I mean, to a certain extent, even today, Las Vegas operates like a small town, even though it's a very big city, because there's a core of people um, who are connected and are sort of the movers and shakers. And Perry Thomas was one of the primary movers and shakers in Las Vegas at the time. So he made friends with E. Perry Thomas, and he had access to money to... That was the only bank. And he had even more, possibly he had access to some very key land parcels. Uh And of course, in Las Vegas, it's getting that land along the strip that makes or breaks you. And that bank, if I'm correct, was the only bank that would lend to casinos at the time. Yeah. Do you know, even in the late 1990s and early 2000s, there were very few banks that would lend to Las Vegas. And some of them were... um, Bizarre, like the Bank of Scotland was was funding a lot of casino development. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So well, when when Steve came into town, was he rich already? He had he had a comfortable upbringing as a kid. He had his own motorboat as a teenager and uh, took friends out on the lakes in upstate New York. Um, he wasn't wealthy, by the way. We talk about wealth now, where we're talking about billionaires. Of course, billionaires didn't really even exist then. But he was a spoiled kid who um, pretty much got what he wanted, and um, was very accustomed to sort of pushing on and his passions, and, and very charismatic as well. And once he started buying and selling um, properties in Las Vegas, wealth came very quickly. And who were the people that he had to compete with at that early stage? Well, you know, if, again, if you sort of, let's, let's go back for a second and look at what Las Vegas was, because now we think of it as a place with, um, you know, a volcano and um, a, a, an Eiffel Tower and a replica of Venice. And at the time, none of that was there at all. There were more or less large motels. Um, nothing that would look at all spectacular to anybody who, you know, is, is sort of of the modern era. Um, and um, Kirk Kerkorian was one of the big developers at the time. He, he liked to build big hotels. They weren't really pretty, but he liked them to have lots of, 
lots of rooms so they could bring in you know a lot of people that have big events so Kikorian was um past middle age at that time already or or middle aged depending on how you define it um and there had been there had been people there was a fellow named Jay Sarno if you're a Las Vegas aficionado um you, you might have heard of him but he was one of the really early progenitors of the idea of entertainment he built circus um sorry he built Caesar's palace and he looked a little bit like Caesar himself he was kind of chubby and um cherubic um and he had this he had this some ideas that sort of probably more than anybody until Steve Wynn came along sort of developed this idea of Las Vegas as a playground. So you had Steve Wynn, you had Kikorian, and one or two other players? Well, yeah, depending on what era you're looking at, um, um, I'm having a complete moment. Uh, Howard Hughes, of course, had been a player there for a while. We've seen films about him being holed up um, at the, at the, in the top floor of the, of the Desert Inn um, as you know, in his, in his late ages. So there were people sort of coming through, building things. In every era, there have been people who got rather famous and did some things that were significant for a while. Um, there have been very few that have lasted so long that we still remember them back, you know, decades later. So Kerkorian was Howard Hughes' nemesis? Did- for a while there, yeah, until he was Steve Wynn's nemesis. <laughs> so they were just kind of competing against one another? Um, yeah, I I think, you know, Howard Hughes wasn't there as long, and he was doing other things as well, and he had um, big interests in um, Los Angeles as well, and of course the, the movie industry. So he'd been doing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things. Um, Kerkorian came along and um, got fascinated with Las Vegas. He loved... Um, he liked boxing, and you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't one to to um, sort of boast of being the boss of the joint and go take um, a front row seat at boxing matches. Like people would find him up in the nosebleed section, but he loved being there and seeing what he had created. Um, he had a few things that he wanted. Like I mentioned that he we wanted things to be big. And so he was always trying to build another resort that was big, bigger than the last one or you know, bigger than the one that was down the street. But his, his fault was that he, he, you know, he, he wasn't, he was the opposite of a micromanager and often didn't really know a lot about what was going on in his properties. And so if he didn't have people who were really on top of everything, things could go awry. And he had some disasters, including a very famous and horrible, tragic fire. I was going um, to ask you, uh, and I guess I will now, how hands-on was Wynn compa- compared to... <laughs> complete micromanager. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that, I mean, that's one of the things that um, is annoying and terrifying about him to people that work with him, but also one of the keys to the success that he had. There were, I remember one time he was developing, um, this was, he was designed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Finding what is now um, the win. And he had um, architect that he, architects that he'd worked with for many years he knew quite well. And he would share a drafting table with his architect and had um, markers on this on this drafting table, and he'd have he was. I saw him. I'm thinking of one particular time, but I saw him do this several times. He would take the blueprints as they were laid out, and grab these markers and start scribbling all over them the changes that he wanted. He wasn't. He isn't a trained architect in any way, um, but uh, you know he just would redo things and and he really enjoyed blueprints. He'd move a wall or or you know, design a new element of something when things were um, being tested for his properties. He would build a mock-up of the hotel room or a mock-up of a portion of the casino so that he could go in and he wanted to see what the lampshades looked like, what it felt like to sit in the booths, in the restaurants. Every single detail he went through and touched it and smelled it and stared at it. <laughs> I... I kind of get that, but I don't see how he does that with so many properties. I mean, is is he a high, highly stressed guy? Well, he's higher. I don't know about. I mean, probably stress. Um, he's uh, certainly highly energetic. Um, and keep in mind that he was doing only one property at a time. Okay. So he would go into, um, and it's interesting because he was just in another one of these phases very recently, but he would go into a phase for a year or more that was all about designing that property. And, mm-hmm. and, and then it would take another year after that to sort of bring the plans to some fruition and testing. So each property ended up taking up several years of his life. Wow. Your book <laughs> starts right out at a point where the dust has settled. And there's, it's kind of a, a duel I mean, the, the the stage is set for this duel between the big, the big boys. And what year is this when the dust is settled? And what was the dust that settled? Well, um, in that particular instance, we're looking at um, at a gentleman we haven't talked about as well. There's Gary Loveman, um, who came in much, much, much later. And as it turned out, for a brief period. Um, but um, there was Steve Wynn, of course, and we've mentioned Kirk Krikorian, who, who predate, predated Steve Wynn. And then Gary Loveman, this very cerebral former Harvard professor who, by a bizarre series of what can only be called accidents, ended up as the CEO of Caesars Entertainment Corporation. Um, and the three of them really duked it out for a number of years for who had the best plan for controlling Las Vegas. Loveman's plan couldn't have been more different than anybody else. He was really interested in sort of Pavlovian psychological research on gamblers, how you get them to stand longer and hit the button more often on a slot machine. And, and he was all about have incentivizing people um, to stay at those slot machines. Steve Wynn was about bringing people in, building spectacle and exciting people and giving them lots of entertainment, including food as entertainment. Um, and Kokorian wanted to have the biggest, biggest properties they were out there. So you've got these three very different Uh. personalities buying up or building 
um, pieces of the of the Las Vegas Strip. Seems like Loveman's um, idea was good for once they got there to squeeze as much money as he could out, but Wynn's idea was to get them there with the flash bang of these properties. Who's, yeah, who, and, and Wynn is, of course, the one that ended up creating the most action for Las Vegas overall. We wouldn't have Las Vegas as, you know, the convention world central um, or the bachelor party central that we have now if, we, if you didn't have somebody with the imagination of Steve Wynn to create these fantastical properties. The problem, of course, and this is the dust, is that that he's so imaginative and, and so hell-bent on creating whatever his next passion project is, and that could change over the years. For a while, once, you know, for several years, he was in love with dolphins, so he built himself a, a big pool with dolphins that were virtually his pets that he would swim with. And um, then after that, he got interested in art, impressionists, and started collecting impressionist art which actually turned out to be a fatal um, decision for him because one of the ways that he funded the art was by having his casinos buy it. And investors started getting a little squeamish about the amount of art that was being owned by their casino companies, and they got upset. Steve Wynn did some things that they thought were a little awkward in his, you know, they were not necessarily important, but he'd go on conference calls to discuss earnings and his dogs would be barking in the background. Um, uh, He did a song and dance routine at an analyst conference in New York once. And Kerkorian realized that investors were upset and a little bit frightened by this behavior and the, um, the, the artwork buying. And he launched a hostile takeover for wind resorts at um, can only be said it was just absolutely perfect timing. I mean, it was really skillfully done. And uh, and he got it. That was the first time Wynn lost his company. So why does a guy like Wynn, or why does Wynn continue? He's got more money than God. Uh, it's got to be stressful. Why not just go to an island and drink drinks with umbrellas? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I guess it's just me, but I actually feel like whatever drives Wynn and dudes like him might be like a, a psychological liability. You know, I spent a quarter of a century for the Wall Street Journal interviewing Steve Wynn and people like that. I've, I've spent a lot of time interviewing billionaires, and I haven't met a single one who would ever retire and head off into the sunset. It's, it's not, and everyone, one of them will say, if you, if you really talk to them about it, it, you know, after a while, it's not about the money anymore. They, all of them long ago had more money than anybody could ever dream of and can have anything they want in the world. But what they really want is more power or more accomplishment or all these things that are driving forces in their life. They've got too, too much energy, too much ego, too much passion. They're just not the type of people to go. It seems like a curse. Because I, I just, as much money as Wynn has, or any of those folks, how happy, how much happier are they than some normal person with a, you know, a car and a dog and a house? I, I can't. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, that, it comes back to the title of the book, Winner Takes All. It becomes about winning after a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, you know we, we see this, we see it playing out in politics. We see it playing out in business at Wall Street. There are people who just want to win at all costs, and that's that's 
a hunger that has to be fed. Yes, it's a um, hunger, a liability. It's like a treadmill. You can't get off, and maybe, I don't know. Let's ask you why people love Vegas so much. There are casinos all over the place, but, and I feel the same way. I don't care about those casinos. I like Vegas. It's not, there's nothing like it, not even Atlantic City. What is the magic thing? You know, I mean, that's a good question. I think I think there's a magic, A, there's a magic to the history of the place. We really don't, you know, Atlantic City doesn't have Bugsy Siegel. So there's a, there's a, you know, there is something that's appealing about this sort of retro stuff. The Rat Pack was there. We, you know, we love to think about them. All those properties for the most part are long gone and the vestiges of them that are still there are so dreary that they're not recognizable but it's in our imaginations um and also las vegas is really smart about giving people things the ability to do there that they couldn't do at home or other places I thought it was always interesting that you could go to Caesar's Palace. They had several swimming pools there, and they have a topless pool. It's not, it's not topless waitresses. It's school teachers from Omaha lying out by the pool topless, and they would never do that at home. Um, but there's, there's something that causes people to go to Las Vegas and want to misbehave a little bit. Yes. That slogan, what happens here stays here, yes. picked up on that, you know, very art, artfully. And again, it's in our minds, but people go there and they believe it. Uh, the next question is, can you talk, well, it's actually a, an essay question. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the swing towards kid-friendly and Disney-like Las Vegas, and then what seems to be the swing back away. Yeah, that, that turned out to be a disaster. Um, I remember being, during, during the height of the, the bring the kids to Las Vegas sort of Disney period, um, I remember being asked to write a story about what, what people should do with their kids at Las Vegas, and I went off and reported it, and I was standing on the sidewalk in front of one of the casinos interviewing an Australian family that had two kids about maybe nine, age 9 and 11. And as we looked down at the children, I realized they were picking up these flyers off of the ground, the sidewalk around them, and they were flyers for prostitutes with photographs of the prostitutes. <laughs> it was a bad idea. Um, yeah. And St- Steve Wynn realized that he, you know, he actually started that. He built the Excalibur. It looked like a castle. You know, the, he built Treasure Island that had the pirate battle in, in the front. I'm sorry, he didn't build Excalibur. He built Treasure Island. Okay. Um, and, um, and, and that sort of started this, the idea of, of um, Las Vegas as a family place. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, 
not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The casino guys thought it was a great idea because you'd get more people and then you could sell them more things. They, they, the kids might not gamble, but the whole family would go out to dinner and um, it, didn't, it didn't work out that way. It, it turned out to be a terrible problem. It was a terrible. How could they not understand that the reason people go there was to be to do kind of naughty things? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that collectively, if you, you know, they would all tell you now, I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, Steve Wynn changed it very quickly, and, and Treasure Island ended up being sort of a, a rated R pirate battle after he changed his mind, and they eventually even rebranded it TI instead of Treasure Island. So he reversed, he, he started it, and then he was the first to reverse it. Um, and there aren't a lot of, uh, you know, there, there are not a lot of people encouraging people to bring um, whole families to Las Vegas now. It, just, it turned out to be a liability, and there were terrible instances of, I mean, I, I witnessed this, and anybody at, in Las Vegas during that period would see baby carriages with ba- children in it outside the casino area and, the, and nobody guarding them because the, the parents were in there playing slot machines. It was just not, oh. not good. It's, it was like a 10-year, like a decade-long mistake, though, at least. Yeah, and when you think about it, talk about the expense. It's not like you just changed a, a, a restaurant around. People built entire properties that were created to bring in families like that. So you're, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars spent. Um, but that's the thing about Las Vegas. It reinvents itself and has an extraordinary ability to sort of say, whoops, um, let's go in a different direction. And then next thing you know, they're like, oh, no, we don't want families. We want conventioneers. And they're building convention centers. And that's that's kind of where where we are now. As a, convention centers? A, okay. No, I yeah, tell you conventions, what. Convention centers have a have a, a, a lovely thing is they'll fill the hotels during the week when the partiers are at work. The partiers tend to come on on weekends. So if you can get conventions, then you have people using the facility twenty four seven. You're gonna love this book, folks. Christina Binkley's "Winner Takes All" about win in Vegas. Can you go through in a very abbreviated manner Win's sort of acquisition? History. I mean, he bought into a little bit into the frontier and the nugget in the beginning, and talk a little bit about that, and then step by step to the present. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, it's, that's that's exactly how it happened. Is he he started out acquiring, um, and the golden nugget, for instance, was a, um, a it is a casino in downtown Las Vegas, so not on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, and he he bought that, and, and at the time he was married to his first wife Elaine Wynn, um, and the two of them were sort of mom and pop there. They showed up with their coffee in the morning and ran the place. Um, he p- put a lot of money into it, a lot of a lot, you know, glitzified it. 
Um, and and years later, after he'd built the Mirage, which was the which was the property with the volcano that really started that sort of themed um, display kind of casino that that is quite common there now. You know, the the Golden Nugget was still a part of the first company that he built, Mirage Resorts, um, and a place that he cared very much about. And he would go and spend time with employees there, um, even though it was you know not not even remotely as um as uh big or interesting a property as the ones that came later but he then stepped when when he got the idea for the mirage um and the it's sort of this is a kitschy thing but the concept was you have this volcano in front that's really a sort of a large water fountain that's that spews steam every once in a while through jets um and the, the it was it's a crazy thing, but he thought that that would draw people. Um, I, I look at that and think, hey, who who pitched that idea? If anybody who'd been at that meeting, oh, let's build a big hotel, and we'll put a fake volcano in front, and 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 if we build it, they will come. I I, I wouldn't have bet on that pony, but um, but he did, and it worked. Um, and then he went on to you know to continue building new, bigger, crazier resorts until he built Bellagio, which at the time was the first truly luxury casino in Las Vegas that had luxury shopping. Um, he had a hard time getting luxury luxury, uh, luxury stores to go in there because I remember when they were building that, they wanted to, to get Chanel and Prada and these luxury brands to come in, um, Cartier and um, then those places had, you know, New York, Paris, Rome on their stationery and their shopping bags. They didn't want to add a tawdry place, Las Vegas, and they wouldn't talk to him. So his head of retail, um, <clears throat> having failed to get anybody to come in and, and take stores in this mall he was building in the casino, went and told, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it was Cartier. And uh might have been Prada. I'm not sure what the two brands were. He went and told one brand that the other brand had said yes. And then he went to the other brand and said that Cartier had said yes and got them both to agree. And then once um, once those brands had agreed to come in, they were able to, to uh, bring in the rest. Um, tip, sort of typical way Las Vegas gets developed, right? Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, and then he got involved with uh, stuff in Macau. That yeah, that that came later. So 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 he finished Bellagio. He got fascinated with art. Krikorian launched a uh, hostile takeover and got the company. And suddenly, Wynn has no casinos. And um, he to to this day insists that he wanted that to happen and that he meant to sell to Krikorian, that it wasn't a hostile takeover. Um, it's not true. And, um, uh, but, it, but, you know, you can imagine what a devastating blow. I, he may even have convinced himself at some point that he wanted wow. to So Krikorian was on sell. his heels all, all along, just nipping at his heels like a true nemesis. Yeah, and he was so thrilled. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't witness this myself, but people who were with Krikorian the first time that he walked through Bellagio, which was at the time the finest casino in Las Vegas, and, and, and realized I, you know, that he owned this. I own all this. 
apparently had just a sort of a childlike ear-to-ear grin on his face, the, the, the thrill of it. Um, even though he never had an office there, didn't, you know, didn't, didn't work there. He lived in Los Angeles, and um, he just loved the fact that he owned it. But when immediately, you, you, you know, you're talking about how um, these people can't, can't could have controlled themselves. Wynn had absolutely zero intention of sailing off into the sunset and retiring, although he certainly could have. But he disappeared um, sort of from public sight for about a year. Um, he bought the Desert Inn, and which, which was one of the old Rat Pack casinos, and, and buried himself with his architects and started designing the next property, which was now, now we know it as, as the Wynn. Um, and and sort of started, you know, started again. So he built a second casino company. And about the time that he was building the Wynn and all that was going on, Macau, which is off the coast of China um, and was a former Portuguese colony, um, had Macau had had gambling that was controlled by just a handful, a small handful of Chinese moguls. And Macau decided to expand and invite some of the Las Vegas companies to come in and develop there. And they gave, they awarded um, three licenses initially. And um, <coughs> excuse me, Wynn went raced right in there and um, and bid on one of the licenses and and got one. I remember at the time, these, the casino operators who were, were dealing with Macau were suddenly constantly jet-lagged because the poor guys were flying back and forth to Macau all the time. And um, through, right as I sit here, I through the window can see an Encore hotel and casino being built, set to open this year. And, of course, a lot of controversy around that. I guess initially it was going to be Win. now it's called Encore. What can you tell me about that whole thing? Oh well, you're right in the middle of a whole mess. Yeah, that's a really something. Um, that you know, that's the next stage of development. Macau, by the way, has overtaken Las Vegas. It's a bigger casino market than Las Vegas is. It's the primary casino market in the world, um, um, and just draws a lot of re- real high big action for gamblers. So now you've got Las Vegas and Macau as the two primary areas. Companies that want to expand beyond that have got to look for other markets. And your backyard right there, um, Boston, um, is, it turns out to be sort of, in, in their estimation, underserved in terms of high-end gambling. And so um, Massachusetts decided to give a, a gambling license, and there was a great deal of competition for it. And Steve Wynn won. Um, he's a good showman, and he runs good properties. And it's it's you know he they're they're well run. The hotel rooms are nice. He's you know he's he's always been very good at what he does. And, um, and so it's understandable why the casino commission you know selected Win Resorts to come in. Unfortunately, in January of of uh, it's unbelievable to me that it's only it's, it's such a short time ago, but a year ago, um, the, Wynn got caught up with the whole Me Too scandal, and ended up. <clears throat> I won't go into all the details of it, but he, within a couple of months, 
uh, ended up ousted from the casino company, forced to sell his shares um, in the company, and now you've got a casino there that that your casino commission chose Steve Wynn to run, and there's no more Steve Wynn associated with it, and there are lawsuits, and it's not even clear how this is going to come out, whether whether or not you'll have a Wynn casino or not. It says, oh, or it says Encore. now it's Encore on the hotel. Let's see. Yeah, well, that was part of it. So Encore was when, when, when Steve Wynn came back from losing his company the first time. Um, he built the Wynn, and then he built another tower next to it that's identical to it. And what do you call it? He couldn't call it Wynn, too. He didn't like that, so he called it Encore. Oh. His ex-wife, Elaine Wynn, thought of that name. And they chuckled and thought that was super fun. So the Wynn Casino there in Boston was supposed to be a Wynn Casino, but after the whole Me Too episode last year, um, the company realized they needed to cut ties with anything that seemed to be associated with Steve Wynn. So they decided to change the name to Encore to sort of distance themselves from the man. I'm going to ask you your opinion, and this is, uh, well, it's your personal opinion. In the case of Steve Wynn and the stuff that he's accused of, is, is there an overreaction or is this legitimate? Well, we don't know enough about what went on, to be honest with you. The, the, the key issue, the one that's really driving the concern of the casino commission there, is that there, there was an employee, apparently a manicurist, um, and she was given a $7 million payout um, over some sort of sexual um, harassment issue. We don't know exactly what happened. It's all under wraps. Steve Wynn is trying to keep it under wraps. He's sued to keep the reports um, uh, of to not have them be publicly issued. So I don't know. I, in some ways, I can't answer that question because I don't really okay. know what so, happened. It doesn't sound good. $7 million is a pretty big payout. So some of the problem um, with that is that he failed to disclose the pay. I'm asking this as a question. What's some of the problem that he failed to disclose that payout to the the, the directors? Well, that's that's of course the, the casino commission's problem pro, problem with it is that they and that's the legal issue is that they're saying they should have been informed about that because in order to get a license for a casino, it's not sort of like going going and getting a restaurant, opening a restaurant, and you get the restaurant inspected. Um, casino executives have to be licensed, and it's in a extremely intense amount of scrutiny into um, levels of detail. It's some, a little bit unimaginable. You, they, I, one casino executive I know had to, he found out actually that his pool contractor had been taking money from him, um, saying it was spending it on materials, and then the materials were actually being spent on another project that the contractor was working on. And the executive found out about that because the casino commission in Nevada said, your pool is way too expensive. Why are you spending so much money on a swimming pool? So that's the level of scrutiny these guys get. So when they find out that Steve Wynn didn't tell them or the Wynn Resorts didn't tell them about a $7 million payment, um, to settle a, 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 a lawsuit, that's a big problem to them. So that's the, that's, a, that's the legal issue. But the real issue, you know, the real question that you're asking, I think, about whether or not this is an overreaction is, um, you know, it's startling to all of us to see somebody who is arguably a difficult man, absolutely, but he's also accomplished extraordinary things and has his own style of genius. 
And um, to see all of that wiped out, um, you know, Steve Wynn has spent most of the past, well, he spent the whole summer on his yacht in, in, the, uh, in the Mediterranean and um, is, is sort of staying in his New York apartment. He's traveling around. He's, he's got various homes in various places, but he um, has literally at this point nothing to do with his former company or the casino industry. Th- and that's a... It's going to be killing a, him, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, it, you know... It still surprises me, and I, I I know that he's you know well into retirement age, and and most people would enjoy their yacht and and their multiple homes and and wonderful lifestyle, but I there's I just can't believe he's not. Um, I don't think he's retiring. I I honestly believe he has all kinds of plans. I have just for a couple more. His qu- next big thing is just a couple more questions for Christina Binkley, and we're talking about. Her book, Winner Takes All, How Casino Mogul Steve Wynn Won and Lost a High Stakes Gamble to Own Las Vegas. When you went there, your experience, did you go and did you have fun or was it just a dreary job when you would go? No, it's definitely not just a dreary job. I'm not a gambler. I I, I bet a couple of times in slot machines just because it seemed ridiculous to have a beat like that and not do it. But it's there's no joy for me. I'm, I'm just not, it's not who I am. As a Nothing. I loved every moment of covering Las Vegas and writing about those people. I found that the executives of the companies were fascinating. The customers in the casinos were fascinating. There were human stories right and left. You just couldn't, you know, you step out of your hotel room and you stumble on, on some fascinating individual or story. So um, for me, it was a playground for journalism in the same way that for um, for other people, it would be a, a playground for whatever, whatever kind of game they like to play. Are the things that you know just can't do other places? Were there any that you liked to do? For I wanted to go, you know, take that tour to the, the one of those Grand Canyon airplane rides, but it was too windy that day. Do you like to do any of that stuff? Yeah, of course, and go out to Hoover Dam. Yeah, um, one of my my favorite things. And matter of fact, I really found that I had to do that. If I when you go into casinos, there's no you know there's your hotel room has a window, but there's no windows in the casinos. It's a very enveloping atmosphere. Um, and I, you know, I, if I spent, um, you know, all day for several days doing interviews, stay, you know, I'd be staying in the casinos, interviewing people in the casinos. I felt like I needed to get out and escape and get a little bit of the real world. And I would get in my rental car and drive out to a place called Red Rocks State Park that they had out there, which you drive out for the desert for a while. And you're suddenly in this extraordinary canyon with these vivid red rocks. It was extraordinarily beautiful. Or you could go out to these old towns as a, as a hilarious town named Pahrump. Pahrump on the way to uh, Death Valley. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you could go out and just experience a whole nother part of the West that, that, um, that uh, Las Vegas probably looked much like Pahrump at at one point, but doesn't anymore. So you don't have to just be glued to the strip. If you, if you spend a little bit more time, that whole area of Southern Nevada is, is full of surprises and lovely things that you can do with the kids, by the way. Yes. So when, if you go to the old part, not the strip, but the old original part, is there a, like a must-go-to old school, the real deal, the one you want to go to in, in downtown? Oh, you mean casino? Yeah. 
I hate to tell you that I know. Not really. They've all been, you know, redone um, or are so run down that um, it's. I think anybody sort of expecting that this is that old time feel is they're just you're not going to find it there. One big disappointment for me was Flamingo. When I went there, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, it was. I liked it because it was kind of old school and shiny bright. It wasn't a theme themed kind of thing. And then I went back this year and it was oh my god it had completely changed i was saddened yeah they cha- and you know some of them change you know every five years <laughs> it's, i mean the, the flamingo has i mean that's an old property but it's been redone so many times and changed that you you'd need a historian to take you through to, to really help you find you know the the things that that would remind you of that. I'll tell you what that you should do next time you go to Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, if you like, if you like that old feel, is go to the Neon Graveyard, as it's known. Okay. There is, um, there the, actually the the mayor just announced that they're um, going to make more of a museum of it, which is something that people have been talking about for a long time. But if you Google. Um, the Neon Graveyard in Las Vegas, you'll come up with a website. It'll explain to you how you can make an appointment and go see it. And it's literally um, a former parking lot that is full of the old neon signs from the old casinos. And they're laying on the ground. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, some are better in better shape than others, but you're literally walking through Las Vegas history. Wow. You've seen these things, um, you know, the cowboy boot. You've seen them in yeah. movies over the years and old photographs, and, and they're they're all all there being saved. It's pretty fabulous. They're not plugged in, though, right? No, no, they're not plugged okay. in. Boy, you're such a great guest, and this book, is, as I mentioned before, it's got a certain sizzle. I think everyone is going to dig it, and I think they're going to be able to tell by this interview the book is good. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Christina Binkley, winner takes all. How Casino Mogul Steve win, won, and lost. High stakes gamble to own Las Vegas, and now I want to go to Las Vegas ASAP. Thank you very much. That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to Jay Talking wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.